to Psalm 110. We're beginning a new sermon series today. Psalm 110. Right, right in the middle of your Bible. You can look it up here. It's on page 509 in the Pew Bibles. We're, we're starting a new series that I'm calling The Jesus Creed, looking at basic Christianity from Psalm 110. And I got the idea for this sermon series from... Um, preparing for something completely different. I came across this quote, but it's in your bulletin in the reflection by a guy named Edward Reynolds. He helped write the Westminster Confession of Faith for those of you who are church history nerds. Um, it's part of our tradition here at, at Hope. But basically what he said is when you read Psalm 110, you can find either really clearly every part of the Apostles' Creed or the rest of it by clear and obvious implication so that you can learn about who God is what he's done in Jesus, and what he's doing right now in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's all packed in to seven verses in Psalm 110. So I thought that would be a really interesting sermon series to do that. And so today we're going to, to start. It'll be an introduction to the series. So my goals are pretty simple. It's just that we'll, we'll love, more, love our Savior more deeply, but also it's, it's the basics of the Christian faith so that uh, you'll feel free and comfortable to bring somebody who knows nothing about the Bible, and they'll, they'll walk away saying, okay, this is, this is what basic Christianity is about. So let's, let's read the passage, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll get started. This is God's word from Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us in love. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we, you tell us all scripture is, is comes from you. It's God-breathed. It's your gracious communication to us. And so we thank you for places like Psalm 110 that tell us beforehand what you were going to do, that show us exactly what you are like, that you are a God who does not change his mind, even as you know us down to the, the depths. So send your spirit now to fill us with a greater intimate personal knowledge of Jesus, to give us wisdom and understanding so that we can live our lives in a manner that is worthy of Jesus, who our great King, who loved us and gave himself up for us. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this series, I want to start with a challenge uh, to, to take some time to memorize this psalm, if you have not done that already. Because if I had to guess, it's probably not on your top 10 uh, verses that you have memorized 
The reason we do that is because we're in the Psalms, and Psalm 1 says this is how you read the Psalms. You, you meditate on it day and night. You, you, you pop it in your brain, and you just start chewing on it. And that, that's one of the, the most beautiful, I think it's one of the cool metaphors in the Psalms, because the word for meditate is the same word used to describe a lion chewing on its prey, uh, chewing on a bone, growling with delight. And so... If you're meditating on, on the Psalms, it's like you're, you're not just chewing on it, look, going over every angle of the bone, trying to get every ounce of nutrients out of it. You're, you're, just, you're just not leaving it alone, but there's also a pleasure in it. The same way a lion is, well, chewing on a juicy wildebeeststeak. <laughs> and so that's, that's the image. Of just, just to memorize Psalm 110, you're actually going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the apostles, and you'll start to understand the New Testament in ways that are surprising. But the promise is, if you do this, well, Psalm 1 says it's basically like coming into the Garden of Eden again, being a tree planted in God's presence, and you'll become tough no matter what's happening around you. That's, that's the promise with the Psalms. And so that's what we're going to do with Psalm 110 in this series. We're just going to meditate on it. We're going to chew on it, look at it from all kinds of different angles. We're going to pull in other parts of the scriptures. Um, yeah, I would just encourage you to get help as you memorize it. To get someone else to do this. It's not meant to be a, 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 something you do by yourself. Be like a pride of lions chewing on this thing together. <laughs> but like I said, it's going to put you in good company because Jesus and the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, loved this psalm. They applied this psalm. Psalm 110 verse 1 is the most quoted and alluded to verse in the whole New Testament, which then makes... The whole psalm, one of the most influential parts of the New Testament. All right. I think it's fair to say this psalm grips the, the, imagina- the biblical imagination of the apostles. They read this where we go, what in the world just happened? <laughs> They're saying, that is Jesus and that is the king I want to follow, even if it means my death, because he is worthy. All right. So when they read Psalm 110, the apostles, they saw a king... Uh, who is alive, who is ruling, who is reigning, who is worth laying down their lives for, giving up absolutely everything. A king whose leadership commands my allegiance, inspires my courage. I mean, Peter, who was afraid, stood up and he, he, when he wanted to convince everyone that Jesus is alive. One of the places he went to was Psalm 110. And so this is a psalm that gave the apostles courage to stand firm in the presence of a world that did not like them. Stand firm in suffering to make it really practical. To proclaim the resurrection of Jesus while their neighbors hated them and rejected them and made their lives miserable. So Psalm 110, though it doesn't look like it at first glance, is a psalm for the suffering. Because it's, a, it's seven verses of a proclamation from God to you through David about what God would do through Jesus centuries later. And we stand on now, looking back, saying he did it. And so that's, that's the introduction. This is an important psalm. It's, it's something I haven't really thought about that much other than in individual moments. And so this morning, I just want to show you how this works. That Psalm 110 is, is a powerful psalm. As uh, Martin Luther put it, he said, this psalm is probably the most valuable of all the psalms. It's worthy to be overlaid with precious jewels. Right? Just, just take the psalm and take all of your money and just cover, it, cover the page, <laughs> to put it in modern, modern language. And so, 
This morning when we look at it, what I want to show you first, Psalm 110 is much more practical than you, you can expect. We're going to see Psalm 110 is a gospel announcement. It's pure gospel. And then Psalm 110 is also God's promise fulfilled, which will lead us to the table. So it's practical, it's pure gospel, and we see a promise. And so let's look at it. Psalm 110 is practical. And what I mean by that is, even though it's about Jesus and it's about someone else, you need this psalm to get through life every day in God's world, to live well in God's world. And I know it probably did not move you the same way Psalm 23 does. Right? Psalm 23, we think about a good shepherd caring for his sheep. There's green pastures. There's still waters. Uh, he's walking with you. He's holding your hand. His goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Right? It melts our hearts. It's easy to apply. There's beautiful metaphors, but... Psalm 110 is just as practical and important and, and life-shaping as Psalm 23. Look at verse 1. Uh, and in the Hebrew, it started, verse 1 starts with a really important beginning. It's, it's a psalm of David. And then it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So, to show you this is practical, let's, let's look at how Jesus used it. Right? Jesus read this growing up, and at some point the Holy Spirit revealed to him, this is you. Jesus saw this as self-descriptive. Uh, and so when you get to Matthew 26, verse 63, when Jesus is on trial, he's about to die. One of the places Jesus leans on is Psalm 110, verse 1. Right? And you remember the familiar story? Jesus is on trial to corrupt court. He who knew no sin is about to become sin so we could become the righteousness of God. Uh, the only innocent man's going to be condemned for our sakes. And Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, puts Jesus under oath and says, tell us, make it clear, are you the Messiah or not? I adjure you, I command you by the living God, tell us, are you the Son of God, the Messiah? And here's what Jesus says. You have said so, but I tell you, from right now, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, when, when Jesus talks about where am I, where are you going to see me sitting, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God, where God told me he was going to put me in Psalm 110. It's just so sh that whole picture of being at, someone being at God's right hand, being in this, the most important seat in the universe, Jesus says, that's me. And that's what got him to go through the cross, to face that horrific suffering. So when Jesus, when life stinks, because the scripture is about him, <laughs> when he's being falsely accused, he's being about to be brutally killed, about being torn and beaten physically, he says, Psalm 110 is about me. I will be and am right now at God's right hand, where God said the Messiah would be. He answered his question. Psalm 110 is what gave Jesus comfort, faith, in the worst suffering. God will exalt me. How glorious the conqueror's song as we sang. <laughs> so when you read it like that, as Jesus did, you can start to see, this is practical. Jesus saw this as a psalm about spiritual reality, as comfort for those who suffer. We'll come back to it. 
Right, so when, this is just as much a psalm for when life stinks as Psalm 23. And I know it's easy to say, well, that's Jesus and I'm not Jesus. Well, I'm good. You may, that's a good start, <laughs> right? But look at how Stephen in Acts 7 applies Psalm 110. Look where Stephen looks when life gets really difficult. Because Stephen in Acts 7, he's the first martyr. He's the first one to take abuse for his faith, to be killed. Right? They're about to throw stones at him until he, he was dead. Right? Life sucks for him. That's an understatement. And it says in Acts 7.55, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And so where does Stephen look when life stinks? <laughs> at the right hand of God, where Jesus is right now. As foretold by Psalm 110, he was able to stand firm. And not only stand firm, he could also pray for the forgiveness of those throwing stones at him. Because Psalm 110 is true. Because Jesus is at God's right hand. So, like I said, I'm hoping you're starting to see, Psalm 110 is more practical than you thought when you first read it or heard it read. It's for those who are suffering. It's for those who are being accused of things that are not true. It's for those who have tr trouble forgiving someone else. Look at, the, look at who's at the right hand of God. For those who can't forgive, you need to look at Jesus. See, Psalm 110, packed in there, has a glimpse of Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, risen, sitting at God's right hand right now, everything from the Apostles' Creed the king who's praying and rooting and, and sending you help right now. So, we could add a couple more. This is, this is super practical and we're only on verse one, right? Uh, Hebrews. Hebrews is written to Christians uh, who, are, who are just exhausted from trying to keep up with Jesus, right? Their neighbors don't like them. They're, they've lost their homes. They've been kicked out. It's being written to a group of people who are ready to just tap out on Jesus and go back to doing whatever they were doing before uh, as Jews because it just seemed easier. And so what the writer of Hebrews does, he says, well, look at Psalm 110. Has God said this to, to any angel, that someone's going to sit at God's right hand? No, he said that to Jesus. Saying, you will not find anyone better than Jesus. It's, it's the message of Hebrews. And then it uses Psalm 110 to explain it because Jesus is at the right hand of God. Uh, if you feel like God doesn't understand how hard your life is, Hebrews again goes to Psalm 110, only this time it refers to verse 4, that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we're going to get into Melchizedek. It's a long story. That'll be, that needs its own, its own message. But the idea is Jesus is a priest who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to live the life you are living, who knows what it's like to, to be tempted, uh, to be hurt, to be rejected. And that is the one who is fully human right now in God's presence praying for you. Because he's a faithful high priest, he can save you to the uttermost, everyone who draws near to him because he lives to pray for them. Right? If you feel miserable, if you feel 
if you're still plagued by guilt and shame as a Christian, you feel like you're a second-class believer because you've done that thing again. You've lost your temper. You've clicked on that website. That addiction is winning. Psalm 110 takes you back to who Jesus is, that he is your high priest. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 10 will go on to say, this is how and why God can say to you, I remember your sins no more because Jesus is a priest forever. Your sins are completely forgotten. This is practical. Psalm 110 is practical. I'm putting the carrot on the end of the stick to get you to want to memorize this. (laughs) right? Colossians. And Ephesians, everywhere Paul says, think about where, think about the heavenly places where Jesus is. So Colossians 3, for example, 3.1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Right? And then Colossians 3 goes on to tell you how to, how to do that, uh, to Take off these things that hurt others and hurt yourself and offend God and put on then love, compassion, kindness. All because you're thinking about Jesus who was at God's right hand as promised by Psalm 110. It's everywhere. You're going to start to see Psalm 110 in every nook and cranny when you read the New Testament. So if you come to God feeling like a second-class Christian, like you're a nobody lost adrift in the world, whether you're in your quarter-life crisis, your midlife crisis, or all-of-life crisis, if you're human. God's counsel is saying, look where he has put you in Christ. At the center of the universe, in Jesus, hidden in him. You can't get any higher and more important than that. (laughs) So, Psalm 110 is practical. It has good news for the suffering, good news for those who can't forgive. It's good news for imperfect people. It's good news for those who despair, for the insignificant, the ashamed. It's got everything, all because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. <laughs> and that's, that's the second point here. When you, as you meditate on this and you memorize it, and it, you'll, we saw it changed the early church. Um, the second thing you see is Psalm 110 is, is a gospel announcement before these things happened. It's pure gospel. All right? it, it was promised a thousand years through David. This is what God is going to do through Jesus. All right? That's why Luther would say this psalm is worthy to be covered with precious jewels. It's the crown of all the psalms. Uh, Charles Spurgeon would say every word has an infinity of meaning. So Holy Spirit, help us see the treasures hidden within. But to us, the modern reader, this is full of puzzles. And part of the problem, I think, is part of it's unfamiliar language. But part of what's so hard about this is it's solely about Jesus in terms of having a king and a priest. And these are Old Testament words. Psalm 110 is a gospel message that's not about us. And I think this is why it's so hard. Because to get to us, we have to go through Jesus, which is what Jesus tells us to do anyway. <laughs> if you want to get to God, go through Jesus. If you want to find comfort and, and practical wisdom for living, you have to go through Jesus. And if you want to find good news, uh, real good news, some truth, you have to go through Jesus. And that's hard. Because we just want that little nugget of counsel, you know, pop the pill for the day that helps me feel good. And Psalm 110 won't let you do that. 
So let, let's look at it. This is a proclamation that God's gospel is not first and foremost about us, it's about Jesus. But it is for us, ultimately. Because right? a thousand years before Jesus is made king on the, on the cross and through the resurrection, you have an announcement that God's king is going to come. He's going to rescue them from every enemy. God's going to do that through him. He's going to make Jesus' enemies his footstool. If you're David, you don't know who it is. It's just some future figure. But this, this king is going to rule until every last enemy of his king, this king is defeated. So God is the hero of the psalm. You can't, you can't avoid it. Which means we have enemies out there that we can't defeat and we need a king to fight those battles for us. That's what this psalm is about. Hey, psalm 110 is a gospel good news proclamation. So it's just a good place to pause. And this will help you understand the New Testament. What does the word gospel mean? We, we, we talk about this often around here. It's just good news. Right? It's good news that's telling you something that happened in real space and real time, a historical event. Something that demands you to respond accordingly to what happened. Right? So the, the ancient world, one of the famous examples would have been when at the, at the end of a, of a battle between the Greeks and the Persians, it didn't look good. This is the very first marathon, so all you runners, this is your history. Right, the Battle of Marathon is famous because at the end of the battle that the Greeks won when they defeated the Persians, a runner ran 26.2 miles to announce to his people that the Greeks emerged victorious. And of course, the legend goes that the runner ran himself to death and his words to the people were simply this. It's just an announcement. Joy to you, we won. And then he died. Those who hurt, they didn't have anything to do with what happened. They just responded to the events. So that's what Psalm 110 verse 1 is telling you. Joy to you, we will win. (laughs) Through the king that Jesus appoints. The Lord said to my Lord, David's Lord, somebody greater than David's going to come and defeat every enemy. So David is saying the Lord... Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who redeemed Israel from slavery, that Lord is going to say to someone greater than David, I'm going to stomp sin, death, evil. All of it's going to be gone. It's going to be under your feet. There's going to be nothing outside of your control. No atom or molecule will be in rebellion against this king. And that's it. It's just an announcement. A king will come. Get ready. It's a, it's a historical announcement before the history happened. A king is coming. A hero is coming. Get ready. This is a messianic psalm. This is what the Hebrew people were waiting for. It's, it's God's gospel promise long beforehand. Get ready. So all you do to this is just respond. Joy to you. <laughs> this king will come. And for us as Christians, joy to you. This king has come and he won. He's on the throne now. Verse 3 tells us a little bit about how people respond. It just says when they hear that this king is on the throne, there will be a large group of people. We don't know what they're like. It just says they're going to show up voluntarily of their own free will. No coercion. There's no sword at their throats. This is a leader who inspires and moves and draws people to him. He's not threatening them. 
and they're going to stand up and follow him because this is a king that's worth everything, following with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is gospel. This is what I'm trying to get you to to wrap your mind around. Uh, Watch, go back to Acts, and I'll show you. This is is all Peter does. This is the content of his sermon. This is all probably what we should do every week, right? Because the very first sermon in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit comes down on the early church, and they just start telling everyone what God has done in different languages, and if you remember, the people there listening to the, these messages in different languages, they're just dumbfounded. One, because they understand what's being told. <laughs> and those who, uh, there's always some in every group, others just figured they were drunk. Because, you know, when you get drunk, you all magically learn new languages. <laughs> it's not true. Don't quote me on that. Um, no, so I, they're accused of being drunk and being crazy, and Peter stands up and preaches this powerful sermon and just says this. This Jesus whom you killed and crucified and buried, he rose from the dead, God raised him up, and of that we are witnesses, we saw him. Being, and Jesus being exalted at the right hand of God, and he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's making these things happen. Because David didn't go up into heaven. But David himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let everyone know, the house of Israel, know for certain that God has made Jesus, made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you crucified. That's Peter's sermon. Psalm 110 is true. And 3,000 people said, oh no, we killed the Lord of the universe. What do we do? And Peter just said, well, repent, follow him, be baptized. This promise is for you and anyone who will believe and for your children. It's just a gospel. Proclamation, this happened, you did it, you, you're a participant in it, own your part, own your sin. Follow this guy, and that's what happened. Psalm 110 was the gospel promise beforehand, and for us, we see it fulfilled. And that's basic Christianity. If you want to know what, what, what Christianity is all about, it's all about Jesus, who fulfilled God's promises. It's not... It's, it's an announcement. It's not good advice. It's not about, as I've, I've heard recently, it's uh, just being a nicer person. Right? That's a side effect. If you follow Jesus, he will, he will go after your morals uh, and how you relate and love one another. But the very core of this, the basic Christianity is a gospel announcement that something happened in real space and real time of what God has done to save his people by grace and grace alone. He gives it and says, follow that king, the king of Psalm 110. Joy to you, Jesus is king. That's Psalm 110. Last point, right? I focused on the beginning and I avoided the the scary parts to the end (laughs) because we're going to have to talk about that. If this king is, is the one to whom everyone should come to, and as Peter told us, uh, we are, there were those who were historically responsible for his death, but Jesus died for sinners. And if you're an imperfect person who does not love this God and love your neighbor as yourself, you too are a sinner. Offending this king, the king of Psalm 110, that's the end of the psalm. And it's terrifying. I mean, how did you feel when, when we read about bodies 
being laid out by the same king who's making God's enemies his footstool. All right, so what we got to do is look at, it, it seems disjointed, but there's, a, there's purpose in how this psalm is, fits together. Because verses 1 to 3 are about God's exalted king who inspires followers and rules over his enemies right now. It's about God as king. Verses 5 to 7 are also about God as king. But this time it's God fighting by himself. Verse 4 in the middle is this really weird place one of the, about a king being a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why, where did that come from? <laughs> right? If you're following train of thought, it makes more sense just to follow the king. And all of a sudden, right in the middle, before you get this really ugly news about this king also being a judge, you hear about a priest, about some guy you've never heard of, unless you've read Genesis before. Right? And it, it's a, intentional. But part of what this is telling you is how do you follow this king that was promised in Psalm 110? You have to admit that you need him to be your priest. And what's a priest for? A priest's job is to represent you in the presence of God himself. And a priest's job is to represent specifically sinners, moral failures in God's presence. To say I need a king and a priest is to say out loud, I am a sinner. To say I'm weak. To say that I should be among those bodies who are laying out because I fought against this king being the Lord of my life. Uh, To say out loud, to say I need a priest is to say I'm not qualified to get in on my own. My resume is not good enough. It's not even close. To say you need a priest to to represent you, to pray for you, to offer a sacrifice in your place as the the priest after the order of Melchizedek does is to say, I need a savior. And that's the point of Psalm 110. It's saying you have two contrasting images that are packed together in one person. You have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is a compassionate high priest representing you, sinner, in God's presence forever. That will never change if you are in him. That's Psalm 110. It just says there's this vague image of a person who's going to have ultimate cosmic power. He's going to be God's favorite person, the King of Kings. But he's also going to care about the weak, the brokenhearted, the sinner. He's going to represent them in the presence of the God. He's going to take them into places they could never get by their own merits, by their own goodness. He's going to love them. Of course, in our, from our point of view, that's what happened. That's what Jesus did. He, he is the high priest who took our place on the cross representing us, becoming sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we, we sinners might become the righteousness of God. And that's why the psalm is so practical, because Jesus is your priest, because he is your king. That's why it's, it's a gospel message. It's just telling you who Jesus is. And most beautifully, as we come to the table here in a moment, it's a promise fulfilled. And what does it do to your faith when you hear this happening a thousand years? You hear this promise a thousand years before it it comes. And in verse 4, it says, The Lord Yahweh has sworn, and he will not change his mind. He He is absolutely committed to making these things happen. 
And we as Christians can see that when you look at Jesus. I mean, you can't get any stronger language than the Lord swearing, saying, I will do this. Nothing can change my mind. Even as he gets to know you, you can't change his mind because he knows absolutely everything about you. And so you can look at it this way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have promised together to not change their mind, to send Jesus to be the, your king, to be your priest, to give his life for sinners so that God might dwell on earth with people like us, to change us. That's how committed he is. So God the Father loves and fights for sinners so much that he would send his only son to be your king, to fight for you. That's what a king does. He represents you and leads the battle. Jesus fought sin and death for you. He will not change his mind. God the Father did not. God the Spirit loves for and fights for sinners. He will not change his mind. I mean, Mark 12, when Jesus talks about Psalm 110, says David knows these things because the Holy Spirit told him. So the Holy Spirit is telling us through the scriptures that you have a king and a priest. And he's going to keep telling you and he's not going to change his mind. (laughs) He's sworn. God the Son, Jesus, David the Lord, that's the clearest picture of someone who will not change his mind even when it hurts. Because even as he went to the cross uh, to, br- to have his body broken and his blood shed for you, he said, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. <laughs> but yet not my will. May your will be done. God swore he would do it and he's done it. And for us now as we wait for him to come back and, just, and renew all things, it gives us hope that, that he will continue to be faithful to his promise. And so friends, this is basic Christianity. It was a lot of information, but it's just to learn how to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, His only Son, our Lord. He is a King. It's a promise. It's practical. It's just it's an announcement of what's true and what's real. And He's calling you to follow Him. So I've got two applications, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take communion together. Psalm 110 is designed to rattle your cage. The gospel comes to rattle your cage, to tell you this is not your world, it's Jesus's, by God's design. Uh, It's true that God put a king in history, Jesus. And so when C.S. Lewis would come and say, what are we to make of Jesus Christ? Well, there's no question of what we can make of him. It's really a question of what he intends to make of us. You have to accept or reject Jesus' claims. The things he says are different from what every other teacher has said. Others said, this is the truth about the universe. That's what you should do. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or later, as he's going to say, I am the king of Psalm 110. Follow me. It's meant to rattle your cage to remember who who do you belong to, Christian, and what is he calling you to do? It's to treat him like a king. He is master. We are his servants. Follow him. And then second, this psalm will be practical for your entire life if you, as we learn together to connect our struggles, our, our, our rebellion, let's just call some of it what it is, our struggles and our rebellion, by looking at Jesus at God's right hand. That's what we're taught to do over and over and over again every day. To look at Jesus who is king and priest. For every look at your sin, take ten looks at Jesus. 
That's what we're learning to do. That's going to change you because you're going to be changed into his image. So, Jesus, God's long-promised king of Psalm 110, said, take up your cross and follow me, your great high priest, the priest who loves you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the just the sheer graciousness of telling us what you would do, showing us uh, that you, you've done it, and then you're sending us your helper to help us believe it. And so I pray now for everyone here, we would see the power, but also the kindness and grace of our Savior who sits at your right hand. And so if there are those here who do not know who this Jesus is, show them what it means for Jesus to be their king and priest, to answer their questions and their confusions, to make what is darkness light so that they might see the one who is worthy. And for all of us here, may we have our heads lifted up because we are about to taste what it is like to be in Christ, to sit at your right hand in him in the heavenly places. So I ask you, bless this series, use Psalm 110 to make us a people of Jesus, our King, who are equipped to do battle against our unbelief, against sorrow, against temptation, and that we would leave here as joyful witnesses of the gospel we just heard. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.